From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Monday, September 26th. A recent study in the Journal of Animal Ecology shows how predators can help regulate wild ungulates in the desert. Take the wild donkey population in Death Valley. There's around 4,000 burrows in that California desert. They were brought to the region by miners in the 1800s, and since then the National Park Service has viewed those animals as mostly a nuisance, trampling and eating precious vegetation in the area's wetlands. And people have claimed, you know, everything you read online and from the government and from other researchers states that they don't have predators. That's Eric Lundgren, a biologist at Aarhus University in Denmark. He used camera traps and vegetation surveys to show that donkeys actually have a very threatening local predator, mountain lions. And the donkeys know it. In Butte Valley, where camping is popular, donkeys are pretty safe. And mountain lions don't go near these, which we confirm with camera trap data, and these areas are just blasted out by the donkeys, completely devegetated. Donkeys loiter in this wetland for around eight hours per day, but less than a mile away, where campers are scarce and mountain lions thrive, donkeys largely stay away. And these areas are basically dense, very rich willow forests. With tons of predation, the donkeys are active for maybe 40 minutes a day. Lundgren says that predators can impact prey by reducing their population, but perhaps more importantly is that they may change a prey's behavior. In Death Valley, donkeys know where it is safer for them to graze. If there's a big buffet of hamburgers and there's somebody there that's only going to ensure that you eat one, you're going to eat one because you're going to get in trouble. Whereas if there's no one there, you're going to eat them all, right? It's a basic fact of how organisms respond to risk. There's been evidence that mountain lions can also regulate horse populations in places like Nevada. Lundgren says his research should be considered when discussing hunting allowances for predators in the West. You know, if you're going to describe the burrows as a problem, perhaps we should look at ourselves first and think about our policies towards mountain lion hunting and predator hunting in general. It's a very small portion of the public that actually does these activities with negligible public benefit. Though he says that diminished mountain lion populations through hunting can have a cost for taxpayers. Public agencies are tasked with managing wild horse and burrow herds in the West. Lundgren says it's reasonable to assume this effect could be present in southeastern Utah, where we have wild donkeys and mountain lions. About 300 burrows live throughout Canyonlands National Park. Norovirus is a nasty stomach bug that's usually associated with cruise ships and restaurants. It can sicken people for days with nausea and vomiting. As Luke Runyon from KUNC reports, the virus is so contagious that outbreaks can pop up in some unexpected places, like the Grand Canyon. Jackie King and a group of 14 friends launched their rafts into the Colorado River in early May. The trip started smoothly, other than it being unseasonably warm. But when they ran into other rafters, they were warned. Norovirus was sweeping through the canyon. By day nine, one person in King's group was sick. Stomach troubles. After patient zero, it was one to two people a day going down. Um, our worst day was when we ran upset rapid. Upset is a huge, roiling whitewater rapid right in the middle of the canyon. And we had three people go down almost instantly after we got through the rapid. Um, people vomiting over the side of the boat just couldn't hold anything in. King became ill that same day. 
Her group had a military-grade metal rocket box to use as a toilet. That's required of all rafters to store human waste from the three-week-long trip. And theirs was getting a lot of use. You're sitting on a rocket box in the outdoors, in the middle of nowhere, hugging a bucket. Um, And it's, I mean, it's about as uncomfortable as you can imagine. King's group wasn't alone in its misery. Justice Burkett and his wife backpacked the canyon two weeks after King floated through. I would say about two hours after I started drinking the water from the river, um, my stomach was in tremendous pain. Like it felt like there was like a balloon being blown up from inside of me that was like being overfilled. Both King and Burkett were part of what a new CDC report calls the largest documented outbreak of norovirus in the Grand Canyon backcountry. From April to June of this year, there were more than 200 confirmed cases, and likely a lot more that went uncounted. Sharon Hester is with Arizona Raft Adventures, which outfits trips in the canyon. She says a few of their guides got sick this spring, and it can be tough to keep germs from spreading even in the great outdoors. What they do is um, try to put them in a boat uh, where they're the only one rowing or they're the only person in that boat. Or if there's uh, you know, someone else sick, it would be the sick boat <laughs> where everybody would try to stay away. Hester says norovirus has been a problem in the canyon for years. The virus can live in the river's tepid water and then easily spread among groups who all use the same toilets and eat communally. The CDC report says the virus can even survive in beach sand, where rafters set up camps, allowing it to spread between trips. As the number of tourists visiting the national park has grown and outbreaks have become more frequent over the years, Hester says raft companies have been forced to change protocols. Don't vomit in the river, vomit in a garbage bag, Um, you know, isolate people, hand washing, you know, it got more and more strict, um, making sure the water was always purified. By the time Jackie King's group of 15 people got off the river, all but four in her group had come down with norovirus. They'd even started adding small amounts of bleach to their drinking water to try and purify it. Even with all the stomach trouble, would it keep her away from another Grand Canyon trip? Oh, no, no. I like I am chomping at the bit to go back down um, and have a different experience. A trip where no one has to hug a bucket. I'm Luke Runyon in Grand Junction, Colorado. Conservation groups say more needs to be done to protect the natural and cultural resources of Utah's Labyrinth Canyon from off-road vehicles. The Bureau of Land Management is taking comments until October 7th on a draft travel management plan for the Labyrinth Canyon and Gemini Bridges area outside of Moab. Mary Sherman at Public News Service has more. Laura Peterson with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance explains more than 1,200 miles of off-road vehicle routes blanket the area. Motorized vehicles are allowed in certain parts along the river and in a number of side canyons. And that really impacts riparian areas, habitat, soils, vegetation, but also the experience on the river as well. The BLM has released four plan options for determining vehicle use in the areas for decades to come. Peterson contends the plan, known as Alternative B, is the only one that would protect the entire river corridor while reducing the root density in Gold Bar Rim, Deadman Point, Day Canyon, and other pristine areas. And there are 40 miles of the Green River running within Labyrinth Canyon. Peterson notes it's a designated wild and scenic river for its recreational, scenic, ecological, and cultural values. 
it's one of the few places in the West where you have a flat water wilderness experience. And it's this unique situation where the Emory County side of the river is protected wilderness and the Grand County side is not. And so that makes for disparate management on either side. According to the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, over 94% of land within the Labyrinth Canyon in Gemini Bridges area is within a half mile of a designated off-road vehicle route. Peterson says reducing route density and minimizing user conflicts is important for those seeking quiet recreation in the area. Mary Sherman reporting. Find RE Trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Our program this week in Moab aired an interview with Benjamin Burr of the Blue Ribbon Coalition and Kaya Marienfeld of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance about this issue last week. Check out that show to hear both sides of this topic. You can find a link to the episode in the show notes. The Moab City Council will meet on Tuesday. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News gives us a preview of the council's agenda. This week's Moab City Council agenda promises updates from the police and sustainability departments, a workshop fine-tuning the dark skies lighting ordinance, and potential approval of a letter to the BLM urging the land management agency to keep Labyrinth Canyon quiet when considering a new travel management plan. This agenda preview is from our partners at the Moab Sun News. Moab City Council meetings are held on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m. and streamed live on Moab City's YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, September 26th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.